Welcome to Social Media Blues, a podcast for those who struggle with social media but can't afford to get out of it. I am your hostess, Elsa Figueroa, and this is today's episode. Welcome to Social Media Blues. This is this week's podcast. I'm actually not here. I had to pre-record this because I am right now in New Mexico as you're listening to this. Um, I go there every year um, for a dance retreat that is organized by my teacher, Mira Betts. So I'm probably dancing in the desert. <laughs> All right, so um, before I start, um, so I'm, I'm, I created this new tradition where I'm going to say something I love and something I hate, or maybe two things I love, or maybe two things I hate, about, I don't know, something that's happening in, in pop culture and in the news, or something I'm reading. So today, I actually have two things that I'm loving. One of them is I just saw a trailer for the movie Dolomite Is My Name <laughs> and I am so here for this. I cannot wait. It's apparently a Netflix original that's coming out. I'm not sure when, but um, I remember many years ago um, we when we used to get together with my friends um, from college and we you know, I saw Dolomite for the first time. If you've never seen it, it's, you know, <laughs> a black exploitation classic. Um, I highly recommend it. It's highly entertaining. And, you know, cheesy 70s, bad um, effects movie and this sort of thing. But it had its this special charm, right? So anyway, it's part of the black exploitation genre. And I just saw that they made this movie about the making of Dolomite, about the story of the person who made it. And it seems interesting. I, I never heard the story before, so I'm, I'm excited to, to learn more about that. And um, Wesley Snipes is in it. I haven't seen Wesley Snipes' work in ages and Eddie Murphy um, that's also let me see who else is in it um, Keegan, Michael Key so Chris Rock so all of these you know stars so I'm excited for it and the other thing is that I just started watching a new show on Netflix as well it's called The Naked Director. I was just curious about it from the description. Um, it's Japanese, but I think it's a Netflix original, and um, it's so much fun. It's about this guy who's just like a door-to-door -door salesman at the top of the 80s, and he sort of, you know, his life kind of falls apart, and he, you know, sort of stumbles upon this opportunity to make a business out of porn magazines it's highly entertaining so I've watched two episodes so far I strongly recommend it it's a lot of fun so um, anyway so on to today's topic um, today I want to talk about something I discovered um, about a week ago and it's part of this process of discovering how I personally do social media 
which is um, admittedly erratic, right? Um, I have this love and hate relationship with social media, but I'm also trying to market myself on it and I'm kind of dealing with that struggle and aware of all the consequences of spending too much time on social media, what negative effects it has on your mind versus also what positive aspects it can have, right? Like promoting your content or finding out about what's happening in in um in terms of protests right uh, like i recently spoke about regarding the p- protests in puerto rico so um you know I, I go back and forth i i spend time thinking about it and and just trying to figure it out and just you know acknowledging that there is no solution there is no easy solution and you just gotta like take it day to day basically <laughs> So um, I had this process of introspection about, you know, how I, I also resist success. And, you know, the other day I sat at my desk, I was on my phone making the final touches and a post I was about to publish to my studio's Instagram and Facebook accounts. This was during a week in which I felt particularly prolific, perhaps riding on the high of the protests that had re-energized and stirred the country in previous weeks. I had been killing it in every aspect. I had been keeping up the house, the podcast episodes were flowing out of me, and I had two highly productive creative sessions with two partners about studio events I wanted to produce. I was on a roll. It was a Thursday, I remember. I just published the week's um, social media blues episode and I was ready to keep going. Like, I didn't want to stop there. So I set myself to work on my studio's social media content for the following weeks. Now, I've been in this um, space recently in the past few weeks where I've been trying to create a content calendar. I can keep to it and trying to really, you know... Um, prepare for the for the month of August, which is a key month because we just started classes again um, after a break during July, and also I will be traveling at the same time next week. So it's kind of a tricky time, and I'm also trying to push forward so, some projects for my studio and and. Um, promote the space more as a a rental for rehearsals and uh, you know different events workshops etc so I'm kind of in that weird space where I have to produce a lot of content so um, I'm I'm working on that right I'm trying to make as much content as I can so that I can leave some stuff already pre-programmed for when I'm off next week and, you know, I made this post at that, at that time. I made a post that just flowed out of me. Usually I struggle so much, but I, it just flowed out of me uh, to promote upcoming ballet dance classes. I wrote the caption, I designed the image, and I posted it. I looked at the post, and it was perfect in every way, not to toot my own horn. It was good copy, it told a story, it was authentic, the graphic was captivating, I could get behind all of the elements in the post, right? It didn't feel cheesy, it didn't feel forced, it just kind of took into account all of the different things I've been painstakingly learning throughout this year. 
So to me, it signaled in a way the culmination of a long era of struggles with social media marketing. It flowed easily out of my fingers without effort, without overthinking, without worry, without fear. It almost looked like someone else had written it, right? So I had that moment of, oh, this doesn't feel like me. So I had a mix of emotions then. I felt victory and triumph and excitement. But interestingly, I also felt grief. Why would I feel grief? Well, I accomplished something I had been working really hard towards for over a year, understanding all the elements of a social media post, utilizing all the tools. It's not that it would be one of the, those posts that will give me a gazillion followers, just one of many. It was a run-of-the-mill, you know, post to advertise the business and, you know, in an authentic tone of voice and whatnot. But I recognized it as an ad to me, you know, it felt like an ad uh, for the first time. And it was holding me, no external influence. It was the soup I had been brewing with all the ingredients, all the tools I had been acquiring for months and months, all the podcasts I listened to, all the videos I'd watched, all the articles and even books I'd read, learning tricks and tools for better social engagement, suddenly had all come together into a final product born out of my own intuition. And I hated it for that at that moment. I hated that post for being so successful because it meant that I was leaving behind an important part of me, the part that was the introvert, the anti-capitalist, the soul searcher, the bookworm. Bookworms don't write good marketing copy. <laughs> Writers with literary aspirations don't write cheesy social media posts. We respect ourselves. We brood and introspect and sit in our office inspecting the world from a distance. At that moment, I realized that one of the things that keeps me from having success, in a way, you know, there's other factors, of course, but one of the things is my resentment at capitalists and marketers and, surprisingly, at the writers of the past. You see, my entire life, I have struggled with stereotypes, resisted them, resented them. I refused to be stereotyped, typecast into a role I did not want for myself. I understood early on that someone with my background, my body and my upbringing could easily fit into a socially prescribed role. A woman in society, made for bearing children, being a good wife, a diligent church goer. A successful member of society who dutifully puts aside romantic notions about the world and what she can do in it, because that is what proper adults do. Who forgets about writing, dancing, speaking her voice as she grows older. Who forgets what makes her truly passionate. Yet stereotypes pursued me still, even if, uh, even as I shoot these stereotypes, there were others that pursued me, even as I fought them in the form of stereotypes that I thought I needed to adopt the writers of the past I admired, Poe, Wilde, Shakespeare, Cervantes, D.H. Lawrence, T.S. Eliot, John Steinbeck, Rumble, Tolkien, Proust, Henry James. These were all men. <laughs> by the way, all 
living in some faraway universe in which being a writer meant being tormented, sitting by candlelight, scribbling on paper with an ink pen, never truly being part of society as such. Famous respectable writers don't take jobs as cashiers at a major store. They don't do their hair at beauty salons or do the dishes and sweep floors. They don't do laundry. They don't have blogs. And they certainly don't write social media copy or concern themselves with algorithms or metrics. They are above it all. <laughs> they inhabit a place of cushy armchairs by the fireplace, tobacco pipes, and long walks through the countryside, or dingy apartments in Paris, and they take long sojourns in the south of France to heal from an illness and look down on the servants' gossipy nature. Right? So it's kind of like this <laughs> cliche of the ailing... Um, young man who spends time in the south of France, like Proust. <laughs> so, reading classical 18th or 19th century European literature, I often wondered about the internal lives of those who were mostly absent, the non-presences in the stories, the cook that is described as going to town to buy the ingredients for a meal, the servants who bring lavish plates to the table, the slaves. What was their suffering like? In those books, they were hardly acknowledged. I never did think much about all of that when I was reading Le Miserable or Lady Chatterley's Lover, but I think now I realize the thing that bothered me deeply was that I would never, ever, ever be one of the protagonists in those stories that I loved. I would be one of the background bodies, a servant, and any lines I might have would only serve to advance the plot of the true protagonists or to show their character, right? So basically a prop. This feeling was visceral and completely out of awareness until recently, but it worked on me. It made me feel it was wrong for me to want to be a writer, to be like one of those men and women I admired, to take on the profession of Shelley, Dixon, or Borges, because I was not a protagonist. I did not have a soft armchair by the fireplace. I actually lived in the tropics and the heat was monumental most of the year. And I was but a humble lower middle class girl from Puerto Rico that could easily aspire to a college education and a good job, but really not much more. Certainly not to sharing her ideas, her words, her voice. And when I write this marketing copy and publish it, I feel as if I were effectively renouncing that throne I aspired to for so long. As a child, my fantasies of becoming a famous writer kept me going and shielded me from certain depression and who knows what else. The dream, the, the dream kept my fire alive. I promised myself I would not forget who I wanted to be. But now, <clears throat> everything feels different. My life has taken a very different path than the one I imagined. A much better path, certainly, but I was sure in my early 20s I would have published a book or two by now. Instead, the novel I've been writing for 10 years is still sitting in my computer, unfinished. I'm working up to it now. I haven't abandoned it. And in a way, I'm always writing it because I'm always thinking about it. And in a way, I feel more hopeful about it than I ever did. 
It feels like the moment is coming when it will all spill forth for me. The story and the characters and the words have been brewing for years. Like that soup. It will come. This was not, though, what I had planned. <laughs> I wanted so badly to be that noble writer, the one who gets up at 4 a.m. and then sits at the desk religiously after a run, like Murakami. But then I read somewhere Murakami mentioning in passing, as he recounts his routine, that his wife brings him breakfast. His wife, a constant presence, upholds the household, which makes it possible for him to have the space to get up early to run and sit to write and the energy, right? So what other things I am upholding myself in the process of getting to my desk to write? The stories of these writers that I read about in their biographies are filled with these structures mentioned in passing. The house inherited from the family, so they don't have to pay rent. The spouse that brings breakfast and watches the children and keeps them away from the office so daddy can write. It's not about finding excuses. It's about acknowledging that reality and, more importantly, to have self-compassion that I don't have these structures in my life, so it's going to take me a lot longer to get shit done. It's the reason why I chose a career that allowed me to become a freelancer easily way back in my first year of college because I knew how easily I could lose it, how fragile this dream was. Ironically, pursuing that career made it so that I arrived at the present moment without a single published book. I kept putting it writing off to set up all of the structures in my life that could allow me to do it in peace. Yet, right now, this is as good as it's going to get, and I am still not writing that novel. But I am writing. I write scripts for my podcast, I, I write blog posts for my studio's website, I write marketing copy, I write stories in my social media posts, and I am creating. I create dance choreographies, tell stories that way too, and I write about dance, and I dance about writing. It is not the path that I imagined for the writer self I fantasized about growing up, but it is a path, my path. I think what holds me back are these ideas, these stereotypes I create based on the stereotypes provided by society, what a writer looks like, what a dancer looks like. But I am not just one thing. I am many. I am not just a writer, and even if I ever publish that novel, I might never truly see myself as a novelist. I am a dance instructor and a studio owner and a podcaster. And I am a spouse, and I am a friend. I am a bookworm, and a dancer, and choreographer. I am a student. I am all of those things, and not a single one of them. I am, but a voice. The world is different today. Life in many ways is a lot more complicated. The grief I felt when I made that post was me grieving for a past I never lived. Me grieving for the girl who read Thoreau under the trees in campus, the girl who colonized the humanities faculty at the University of Puerto Rico several years ago, finding new nooks in which to do her reading, those thick books and paperback novels, the thin sheets of paper, the poems and the plays, the novels, the short stories, the novellas, the discussions about art and literature and philosophy and movies and comic books and pop culture and the faculty's art gallery with my friends, 
the endless projects discussed with friends, the comic books that were never written, the sketches of characters passed around, on and on and on and on through the years, the movies never made, all of it. I gripped it right there and then on that social post. All those moments are burned in my head. My escape into books and films, my escape into stories that kept life's dullness and pain from becoming too real. The excitement of a new idea for a story, a new art project, the discovery of a brilliant writer. I feel those things are gone in the past now, that this current moment of social media, its immediacy and relentlessness have robbed me of them. Or perhaps not. They can perhaps coexist. I allow myself to grieve the writer I never was and never will be. And then I welcome the writer that I am becoming. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please uh, leave a review and rate it um, in the uh, Apple Podcast app. And also you can follow my Instagram page at Social Media Blues and send me an email to socialmediabluespodcast at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or feedback. I welcome topic suggestions or any questions that you might have about anything I discuss here on this podcast. So please feel free to email me there. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful rest of the week. Bye.